Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Erin Gilrain and Jennifer Wolf with us. They are teacher leaders who personify getting better together. Both are national board certified teachers leading the charge to develop more board certified teachers on Long Island. Both love to create opportunities to empower teachers as professionals. Both constantly seek opportunities to grow in their craft and both remain engaged with their students as full-time classroom teachers. September 2017 marks the beginning of Erin's 16th and Jennifer's 21st year of teaching. Erin teaches English, Jen teaches social studies. Together they teach sections of ninth grade integrated English social studies and lead professional learning opportunities for fellow educators. Their efforts as leaders of professional learning includes work with the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards, Teaching Channel, and Teach to Lead. They have worked to revise Oceanside's mentoring program to include all untenured teachers and their mentors on the path towards accomplished practice honed in on how to embed the accomplished teaching body of knowledge at all levels of a teacher's career at Teach to Lead Boston, and wrote about their programs and experiences in the August 2016 issue of Learning Forward's JSD Journal. In January 2017, they brought Teach to Lead to Long Island by hosting a local Powered By event, continuing their efforts to help teachers lead from the classroom. Erin is the founder of the Long Island National Board Network, a recent graduate of MCLA's Leadership Academy for Educational Administration and a 500-hour certified yoga instructor. Jen has earned the New York State High School Social Studies Teacher of the Year Award from NYSCSS, three Fulbright scholarships, including a semester abroad with the Fulbright Teacher Exchange, and an honorary doctorate from Union Graduate College in Schenectady, New York. This is part one of a two-part interview. So welcome, Erin Gilrain and Jennifer Wolf. How are you? We're great. Thanks for having us. Doing really well. It's nice to see you. Great. So we are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> oh, awesome. So this is our first time interviewing a team <laughs> And so this is exciting. You're pioneers, and I know you like that. Yes. You like being yes. trailblazers. We do. We sure do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so. The riskier, the better. Exactly. Yeah. 
So it was funny because I said, well, say your name first, but you're so tuned in, you sound the same. So Erin, would you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, my name is Erin Gilrain. I am a National Board Certified English Teacher, and I worked I work here at Oceanside High School. Awesome. And hi, I'm Jennifer Wolf. I'm a National Board Certified a Social Studies Teacher, and I work here at Oceanside High School. Awesome. Okay, so can you... Tell us a bit about your leadership journey and how you met and started working with each other. How we met. How we meet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Was that 12 years ago? 15? Something like that, yeah. So my leadership journey uh, had an interesting start because I definitely identify as an introvert. And that's curious uh, in Jen's life because she loves introverts and I do. married one, in All fact. All of my closest <laughs> friends are introverts. My yeah. So let me guess, you're an extrovert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're like the yin-yang type of a balance. Yeah. So I definitely identify as more of an introvert and initially as more of a follower until about 2006, mm-hmm. Jen then kicked off a national board candidacy cohort here at Oceanside High School, the first one at our high school, and about seven or eight of us jumped in, and it was through that process that I found my voice as a leader, and through that process that I earned board certification and began the constant relationship here with Jen, doing the leadership work that we do. Right, yeah. My leadership journey, I guess actually I think it began when I was a kid. My parents uh, owned their own business. Mm-hmm. a little general store in a town of about 250 people upstate. And so I've always watched people around me be leaders, running their own business and risk-taking and being vulnerable. And I guess I just thought that was how you were supposed to live your life. Or I'd seen so much happiness come out of that, that that's kind of how I always led my life. And so when I came to Oceanside, I came here primarily because the um, a department chair at the time, his name is Kevin Sheehan, he recruited teachers. He didn't just have a passive attitude about hiring teachers. He recruited them. He called the state ed department and found out where all the good schools of ed were, and then he'd call the schools of ed, and then he'd ask if they had any people who he should be interviewing. And when I came down here for the interview, I was amazed to see that he had collected quite a diverse group of people, young, old, conservative, liberal, two years of teaching, 25 years of teaching, 37 years of teaching, and it was really inspiring. And I knew that I could do my thing here. So Mm. that was in part, you know, how that happened. And then Kevin said to me, oh, we need a lacrosse coach. And I said, (laughs) oh, but I only played it in college. I don't really know what I'm doing. He goes, you can do it. And I think that actually was great for me because it helped me to see that I could lead a bunch of girls and be a good influence and make and boys I bet I only did the girls here yeah 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 but (laughs) But you could if you but I could it was available (laughs) now I wouldn't I wouldn't even think twice about it right um but I went to to Union Graduate College which is now Clarkson University in Scantine New York Mm -hmm. and the Dean of Education there Pat Allen he talked to us a lot about being um a board certified Okay. And so I always knew it was something I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was going to do to me, but it definitely it did the same you. thing for me as it did for Aaron. You develop an expertise around your teaching and a language to talk about that expertise with others, mm-hmm. and you want to share that with other people, and you want other teachers to feel like you feel. Awesome. So how would you describe your leadership style? Aaron is the hope, and I'm the grit. (laughs) 
you know, we, we can plug uh, our friend Kevin Sheehan's work on that. Uh, that was quite a few years ago as well. Kevin uh, was working on his doctoral work, talking about hope and grit, and he sent us little buttons. Uh, yeah. He's like, Aaron, hope, Jen, grit. And uh, it's, again, the balance hope. that we have between the two of us. We're like, sometimes I'm the yay, and Jen's the kick and the behind. Right. Uh, but we find a way to make it work. We definitely love empowering teachers through the work and finding ways to help teachers lead from the classroom and find ways to make a job that sometimes seems like it might be a bit of a dead-end job feel inspiring every single day. You know, how do we come back and do this job 15, 20, 30 years in a row and feel like it's fresh and interesting every day? And for us, a lot of that work has been through innovative ideas and improvement science and finding ways to affect change in our building and in our district and around the state. I think it's also important that we lead by example. I mean, Aaron and I would never ask anyone to do anything that we haven't already tried or done or failed at or succeeded at. So we are not the type of leaders who say, this is what you should do or you will do this, but rather I tried this, here's how it made me feel, here's what it gave me in terms of power and knowledge and success in the classroom or in my life, and we think you would like that Mm -hmm. too. In fact, every time that we have a new idea or a new innovation, we do the work with people that are doing it as well. So we don't just lead from the top and do like puppeteering. We are on the ground doing the same work, tweaking it if it's a little bit off to make sure that the work is the best that it possibly can be. So, you know, what's interesting is that most educators don't think of themselves as leaders. What do you have to say about that? You know, it's so funny because Aaron and I were talking about this actually last week. We find it very interesting that teachers are leaders every day mm-hmm. with their kids the decisions they make for their kids the conversations they have with parents managing expectations for a whole variety of stakeholders they create new programs they innovate new um, types of pedagogy they do what leaders do but they definitely don't see themselves as leaders when it comes to adults or trying something new. It's fascinating. I don't really know why that is necessarily. I don't know if it's um, about women and about how we see ourselves in the world and, you know, and mm-hmm. in society, perhaps. I, I don't know what it is. But we really marvel at that because when you're a teacher, you've developed quite a complex skill set and, and a diverse one. And you could really do pretty much anything that you put your mind to, really. Right. And yeah. so, you know, part of the reason why we're doing this is so that we can learn more about leadership. Yeah. And quite often, you know, when I'm doing training, I ask the question, how many are leaders? And yeah. if it's a group of teachers, yeah. very few hands go up. Yes. And right. then we start talking about leadership skills. And then they kind of sit in the space of, oh, wait, yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm an important leader. Right. Exactly. Which exactly. you guys get. Look at your eyes. Your eyes yeah. are jumping. I wish we could see this <laughs> through the podcast. <laughs> Um, This is exciting. So, all right. Which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Well, I have two that I love. Go ahead. One um, is a Teddy Roosevelt quote about uh, the man in the arena. It always, (laughs) I always get choked up about that because it talks about how the man in the arena has a face that's marred with mud and stained with evidence of his hard work working alongside his people so that they can all get something great out of his or her leadership. 
which I always found great because it's mm-hmm. what we always try to do is to work alongside everybody, not work on top of them or you know make them do things. And then the other one I love is by Ann Richards, who said a lot of things in politics can be accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. And that's another piece that when we talk about the work that we do, it's always about the work of other people. And, mm. and that makes us really feel great because leadership is about legacy. It's not really about personality or person, right, mm-hmm. or ego, really. Not really. Right. Erin, go ahead. You want to respond to this? And then I have another question. So I also have two that came to mind. One of my favorite quotations uh, for life, but also connected to leadership, comes from the Sufi poet Hafez. Uh, In one of his poems, he says, now is the time to know that everything you do is sacred. And when I think about leadership, it's an important lens to remember that the work that we're doing is sacred work, especially here in education with children and with adults. We're all here molding the future, right? We're creating uh, that which we want the world to be. And this is important sacred work that our hands are in. You know, on those days where we're, we're covered in the mud, for me, it's uh, important to go back to that lens. And then I want to weave in um, Simon Sinek, who I feel like is a friend, although I've never met him. <laughs> Simon, I'd love to meet you. <laughs> Some people think that goodness, he's their him. boyfriend. <laughs> Hello. Um. It is her crush. It is one of her crushes. It is. Um, anyway, uh, I love his, uh, his idea of starting with the why and uh, mm-hmm. the golden circle, and I'm, I'm sure your um, listeners know all about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the notion of starting with the why and remembering the why of the work helps me when I feel like, I've, like, like the work is becoming tremendous right. and, uh, and I lose track of the vision. Returning to the vision and the sacredness yeah. of the work and the why helps me to realign with my purpose. Yeah. We put a quote on the end of one of our last workshops with our teachers with the NT3 grant that we administer for the network of transform teaching and it was imagine Sisyphus happy mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know because... we know Sisyphus well <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so that brings us back to Aaron's comments where you can get mired in the mud right mm-hmm. and you can get caught up in the politics of leadership So you need to remember why you're doing this crazy thing in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned legacy, which many people don't. But how does that move you forward in leadership? Like we did a mastermind group, as a matter of fact. And one of the leaders, when we came up to talking about legacy, he was stunned because he had never thought of legacy before because that's a beautiful thing to think in the future but it's also reminding us how we're not going to be here well (laughs) totally and it also tempers every decision we make because look it would be easy if Aaron and I did everything alone we could make all the decisions we could create all these workshops we could get you know the department of ed here to do a powered by we don't necessarily need to share the work because we are go-getters and driven and you know and i'm the bulldozer and she's you're, you're the, the grit and she's right. the hope I- but there's no point in that kind of leadership at least in my view because who are you empowering? Who's going to continue the work? If you're doing it about you, then you don't really care about legacy. But if you're doing it about the work, about the why, then that has to be right there at the front of your mind every time you make a decision. So could we do all of the cohort support on Long Island? Maybe. 
Is that smart? Definitely not. And wouldn't it be better to empower lots of teachers to feel the way we do so that they have a little freedom in their space to create new programs or meet new people and create new ideas? I mean, that's why we do what we do. Not because we like to hear ourselves on a podcast. She won't even listen to them after they're done. That is funny. <laughs> I think, uh, we'll make sure we listen. <laughs> I think one of the, the points that Jen is getting at is, uh, you know, we've been doing the leadership work for about 10 years now. And the question that we come back to all the time now is how do we build capacity for yes. the work? Yes. And the capacity is not within the two of us. You know, how do we empower others to see themselves as leaders that are capable of doing this work or any work that they dream up. So a lot of the work now is about inspiring yes. and encouraging people to be risk takers and to see the power that they have within themselves. So now we've seen that level. So you're teacher leaders, you lead and you empower teachers. How does that affect the kids? Well, I'm going to say that being a teacher leader who leads from the classroom is a very delicate dance you do because sometimes your work takes you out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And for Aaron and I, it takes us out of the classroom probably 10 times a year, I would say. And that may not sound like a lot, except to us, it amounts to many hours of instruction where we're not there with them. And so that definitely takes its toll on us. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kids are very forgiving and they are happy to have us back. And there's, you know, I mean, we can pick up right where we left off. But at least for me, I definitely feel that I'm not always able to do everything I could be doing for them because I'm simply not there as often as a teacher who doesn't do this work outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel the things that Jen is uh, describing, but also the kids... Uh, learn about the kind of work that yes. we do and they're like how did you get to do yeah, that so proud. why yeah. would they invite you to yes. speak on a panel wait you're flying to california to do it to do some kind of speech uh the kids are in a way enthralled inspired and a little confused about why their classroom teachers would be doing these kinds yes. of things and for me i use those conversations as a way to say guys you can do anything yes. all we did was write a little proposal into a company and they told us we could talk there i mean we're just taking the opportunities as they come and we're opening the doors yes. for ourselves yes. my guys all you need to do is ask if you want to do these kinds of things that's all it is and the permission just it happens Sometimes. And what's interesting is yeah. you're not just talking about leadership, you're living leadership. Well, and, yeah. and that's very important because they get to see that, yeah. what a leader does and what, what a leader looks like. And it's actually pretty cool because a lot of the girls in class, I mean, I've had many conversations with the girls in class, especially the ones who are more reticent, tend to be really interested in how we overcome any kind of fears or nervousness or feelings of vulnerability doing this kind of work. So that So you're pretty open with pretty them. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing about teenagers is <laughs> they know when you're lying, when you're putting on a show, and when you're oh. not being your true selves. <laughs> so there's no point in faking it with teenagers. And, you know, it's like Aaron said, although I personally might feel like I'm not there as much as I'd like to be on those few days that we're out, I'm doing the kind of work that I hope that they will take the chances to do in their future, Beautiful. whether it's through education or something else. Well said. Thank you so much for that. Now, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I have one. Do you want me to go first? I have a whole pile. Oh. 
<laughs> you can go ahead. Go, ahead. go you go. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was thinking uh, thinking about this question, I jotted down a, a bunch of people from people that we know personally to people that have written books that we're into or that we've seen mm-hmm. speak. And you have crushes on? That I have crushes on. <laughs> it's really crazy. Yeah, yeah. So of course I'm inspired by my crush, Simon. But to give you some more ideas, uh, one of the big inspirations to me initially was Ron Thorpe, which might have been one of the people Jen was thinking of. He is uh, the late president of the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. What was so awesome about Ron was that he was a charismatic leader and he could lead thousands of people in a speech, but he would also walk up to say, someone like me who just achieved board certification, I didn't really know who he was. I knew who he was, but I didn't really know him. And he would sit down right next to me and say, hey, Aaron, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Tell me about your class. What are you into? And he could talk to anybody and he would actually listen. It wasn't a bunch of BS. And I love that he was the leader of a big teaching organization and he really cared about all of the teachers that he encountered. And he had visions. Uh, Jen and I were uh, talking about how we used to carry this big book that had all these earmarks on it. And it was The Social Transformation of American Medicine. And we just remembered this recently, and we both bought it as our summer reading because we're trying to get back into his mind. And now that he's passed away, we missed the conversations about how he would talk about how there was a time when doctors had to transform their profession from the inside out. And he used that book as inspiration. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying to get back into wow. those conversations with him through that book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. Did you want to list some more? I have so many. So another one of my, <laughs> <laughs> another leader that I've totally inspired by that Jen may also agree with is our friend uh, Erica Andrew. She works oh, at Expeditionary yeah. Learning and was with Teaching Channel right, and she had that. all sort of um, academic leadership positions. And what's awesome about her is that she has a way of making leadership really fun. And she does it naturally. She's super smart, but she's not intimidating. And she can lead anybody, whether it's in a conga line or in a conversation about school reform. She does it all with grace and Mm -hmm. dignity. And she's the smartest person in the room, but never makes you feel like that. Yeah, that's true. And she has a way of making you realize more about your own power than you thought before you had a conversation with Mm -hmm. her. She's really someone you should talk to, probably. She's amazing. Yeah, awesome. We we'll We'd go. love to talk to her. Yeah, she's no. What's great is that she did a workshop here at Oceanside a couple of years ago, and out of that workshop, two of the programs that we are most proud of were born out of that group, not by Aaron and I, but by an administrator team that was paired up with some teachers, and they created a choose-your-own-adventure type of professional development using the teaching channel, and then they also created the pre-service mentoring program that we have here for our pre-service teachers. But she got them talking and thinking and not being worried about being vulnerable or taking risks. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, we're big fans, too, of Brene Brown. (laughs) Also on the list. We love her. (laughs) And she writes about creating a culture of vulnerability so that people are not afraid to fail. In fact, not necessarily look forward to it, but understand they learn from it. Mm -hmm. And so she has that piece down I think Erica she knows how to create that mm-hmm. environment of vulnerability where you try stuff and you see what happens and what's the worst that could possibly happen we mm-hmm. learn something new mm-hmm. you know awesome yeah mm-hmm. you know I mean I mentioned her before but I love Ann Richards the governor of mm-hmm. Texas she was a social studies teacher she taught middle school social studies in her life before being the governor but what I admire about her is she was the second woman in Texas history to be elected to a statewide office, and the first in 60 years by the time she had been elected. 
And in Texas, you know, the ultimate vision of masculinity and America and cowboys, right? She was a woman, a Democrat, who found herself wanting to champion the rights of women and minorities and other um, folks who were, you know, in positions of being vulnerable with um, her policies. And probably the two things that ended up allowing George Bush to be elected instead of her in her run for her second term was that she defeated a bill to allow a concealed weapons to be carried and cop killer bullets to be sold in Texas. And then she wanted to protect the environment in the Midlands. So she was a person in my mind who came out of great hardship. She struggled with alcoholism for a while, but I admired the tenacity and the vision and she knew her why. She had to do these things for people who did not have a voice. She was uninterested in um, like getting ahead, getting ahead, or even the possible blocks to her process. She wanted it done, and she was going to make it happen. That I really enjoy. Plus, I'm a little um, outspoken like her, and I like to say it like it is, which is why sometimes I let Aaron speak instead of me. Um, you know, depending on the audience. Uh, yeah. So I love her. I don't know much about her, but it seems like she has a lot of integrity. She puts yes. her why before politics. Yes before you know acceptance of other people and and often in politics that's what we see um and so right yeah yeah so it's really great to see i mean i really admire any leader who has a vision and sticks with it because it's righteous Mm -hmm. to make it happen Mm -hmm. as opposed to what they think they should be doing or anything else that you know is motivated out of really ego i guess wonderful all right so what's the best advice you've ever received Actually, I received it from a nun who was one of my professors at Union Graduate College. And I was having trouble finding balance between work and my life, right? And she said to me, she was on a retreat with a priest, and he was talking to a bunch of nuns about their service. And he said to them, what is good for you ends up being what's best for everybody else. And I had never actually thought of making choices for myself as being something good for everybody else. You know, you think of it as being selfish or putting yourself first. When in fact, if you can feed yourself, if you can practice wellness and be good to yourself, then you do create things for other people that that are best for them, I think. It's when you're depleted and tired and stressed out that it's... Which happens in education often. Happens in education. I'm sure it happens in leadership all the time. It's tough. I think one of the most interesting pieces of advice that comes to my mind is the phrase, if not now, when? (laughs) Which is a phrase that I first really encountered a lot during my yoga school training. I was at Kripalu in Western Massachusetts, and the leaders of that training were definitely strong transformational leaders. So they were often using that kind of phrase to encourage us to go deeper into poses and stuff of that nature. Often saying things like, if not now, when? When else are you going to do it? When else is it right? <laughs> Someday. But of yeah, course, yeah. Like, yeah, of course, they're teaching us lessons that go beyond yoga poses, right? right? And it runs in the back of my mind, this leadership work all the time. If not now, when? What am I waiting for? It's never going to be perfect, right? You got to take the jump, take the leap, and then see what happens, right? It reminds me of this quotation from Emerson that I love, where he says that all life is an experiment, and the more experiments we make, the better, Mm. right? I mean, it's all about taking the leap and just watching what happens, right? The net will appear, but if you never take the leap, you never know what will happen. 
I love that because it does move you into action, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about vulnerability, you talked about risk taking, and certainly leaders will do that. Because when we sit and we think, well, someday I'll do this, someday, and we keep saying that, that's not on a calendar anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we never get to do that. And but the older I get, the quicker I realize time flies. And so what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build or sustain one? So I think of um, the answer to this question in two ways. I see there's teaming between Jen and I and then the teams that we create. So when it comes to the teaming between the two of us, we certainly trust each other with the workload. And we've been doing this kind of work for a long time, so we can glance at each other and know what's (laughs) happening, right? Or she'll say things like, you know that piece of paper that we had three weeks ago? Where is it? We need to go back to that idea. (laughs) And and I have it, because I know exactly what she's talking about, right? Beautiful. Uh, We've gotten to this point of collaboration and cooperation and trust where we can get things done uh, very quickly when we have focused times because we work in a very similar type A fashion and it just works. So I would say part of making a team is finding your work partner. Now Jen is my work wife, right? We have an excellent relationship, life relationship, <laughs> yes. right? Mm-hmm. right? I think that's part of finding a team. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to building a team outside of, say, your work, for us it's been about finding norms that work but don't limit people. And one of our favorites that we use is hard on ideas and soft on people, which also comes from our friend Erica Erica, Andrew, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that we encourage people to really dig deep on each other's ideas, but remember that we have to honor the people in the humanity that would be in front of us. So sure, challenge all the ideas, Mm -hmm. but in the end, remember that you're still colleagues and Mm -hmm. friends and that we're Mm -hmm. all in the work together to get better together. We often are asked, how do you make a two-woman team work? Mm-hmm. We never see women work together as well as you two, or it's very rare, et cetera. Right. <laughs> and so we laugh at that, don't we? Yeah, mm-hmm. we laugh. Again, it goes back to the trust that Erin was talking about before. I trust her explicitly. If I can't handle something or she can't handle something, we say, hey, can you send that? Yep, I can send the email. Mm-hmm. And I don't wonder what it's going to be what will be in the email. I don't wonder if it's not going to be correct. I don't worry about any of those things. So that's a huge load off of both of us that we trust each other's work. Mm -hmm. And we like each other, so that helps. And we also know when we've been together too much. And so we take a little break. And you have to be willing to say, that's okay that I take a little break. It doesn't mean I don't love her or that I don't want to work with her. It just means that we need some space between us. Mm-hmm. And I think every team is like that. Even marriage, I think, is the same kind of thing. Or it should right? be. Or it should be, right? <laughs> it's a little space between the togetherness, right? But I think trust and vulnerability and discretion, things that you know, you'd want out of your good friend, I think you need those same things out of a person that you share your work with too. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're dealing with other people and you're pushing them to be more than they thought they could be or to really actualize those dreams that they had. You and your partner, if that's the work that you've chosen to do, have to be in sync and very careful with those people. So your work has to be very good. And trusted between each other, you know. It's not like we're just creating, you know, a new product to purchase or something. We're dealing with people's lives and their egos and their consciousness. And that's really sacred work. Yeah, I feel like you're talking about the idea of holding space for people to grow as leaders. And the idea of of holding a container sounds so, like, squishy kind of. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. holding the container. Mm -hmm. But it's about creating the environment for people to grow. And the work of holding that space where people feel safe, where they can Mm -hmm. take risks, where they can talk about failure and know we're not going to make fun of them later – 
all of that takes a whole lot of work and a lot of planning and a lot of inspiration. And it's an art that has to be cultivated in leaders in order to get people to empower themselves. You know, I love that because I don't know if you know John Maxwell, but I read a lot of his stuff and I'm one of his team members. He talks about trust being the foundation of leadership. It totally is. And and sometimes, though, in a space where there's a lot of insecurity, that's difficult. Very Mm -hmm. hard. So how would you cultivate trust in a situation like that where you find a lot of insecurity? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is about building relationships and doing it one-on-one and getting to know people that are on your team mm-hmm. or in your group or in your building as a building leader and finding time to really reach out to everybody in a way that makes them feel good. Even as simple as, oh, good morning, Lily. How's your day? Mm-hmm. And just starting the conversation and be like, hey, Jen, how are the kids, right? (laughs) It doesn't all have to be big, heavy-hitting questions, just gentle questions Mm -hmm. so that they know that you care and that you listened. You know, oh, hey, how was your summer vacation? Just Mm -hmm. to let them know that you see them as a human and that you can talk Mm one-on-one so that they know that the door is open for conversations, whether personal or quite serious. They know that you're there to listen. And I think it also helps to make sure that when you're trying to change a culture, to one of vulnerability or to really to anything that you think is important for the work that you're doing that you also have on board the people who are in charge. I mean, we're leaders. Yes, okay, we like to try things and we're risk takers and we get people on board to do fun things and things that really are good for kids and for themselves. But we're not in charge, right? So we have a superintendent and we have a principal and we have department chairs and these folks need to be on board or the work that we're doing doesn't spread as far and wide as we'd like it to. And we're lucky that we have a wonderful superintendent. Dr. Phyllis Harrington. Harrington, yes. Uh, She came to Oceanside about five years ago. And the second she took office, that was July 1st, I believe we had a meeting with her July 13th because we had an idea about a grant and we wanted to meet with her anyway. And so we brought in a folder full of all the work of the National Board Certified Teachers and our vision of PD in the school. And she took the meeting and was psyched. And when we asked her if she could match the funds of the grant, she says, oh, we'll find the money. Because she knew that what we were talking about was, again, empowering teachers, improving teacher quality, enhancing what they do so that students can benefit. And if she wasn't our champion, it would be much harder. But she's not only our champion, she's the champion of everybody who works here. That's pretty cool. I mean, really. She really is invested in professional development. So it makes our jobs a lot easier because we have the backing of the people who really are in charge and who control the money and the vision, you know, in many ways. And she spends a lot of time, like Ron Thorpe, talking to teachers. I think she's seen every single one of us teach in the last five years. She made a point of going into everyone's classroom and not as a gotcha, but as an Who do I have here? What is the social capital, the human capital? Who's here? And then making decisions, not in a vacuum, but with other teachers and other leaders about what these teachers need to be better. So that environment helps us do what we do, and it makes everybody else feel more comfortable 
taking some risks. But it's not easy. We saw Todd Whitaker speak at ASCD in March, and he talks a lot about culture change. Mm-hmm. And he says it can be very hard to change a culture, especially if you pussyfoot around, he mm-hmm. said. And our kids can't wait 12 years for a new culture to right. be developed. And that really hit home for me because we do run into a few snags every once in a while, and we think, oh, maybe we're pushing too hard or we're going too fast or we're doing this in a way that's not helpful. And then we realize, if not now, if not now when? when? That's beautiful. And it also speaks to how you can put into persuasive words your vision and how your leadership values you, which yeah, is really it's important. really great. We're so fortunate. Awesome. Okay. Hello, leaders. This fall, we're kicking off some amazing mastermind groups. So make sure to go to masterleadership.org and find out how you can register and be a part of this wonderful community. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.